Welcome to The Cove. This is Louis, your host, and you are dialed into the podcast where we go deep with crypto builders along the path to 100 million daily signers. It does seem like we're hitting an inflection point for user experience around key management, wallets, payments, and much more. Today, I've got Ben from Meso on to chat about passkeys, account abstraction, user intent, the importance of seamless on and off ramps, and many other things. We have some exciting changes coming to The Cove very soon to refresh many parts of the show and create more exciting in-depth content for you covering all things crypto. In case you haven't noticed yet, we are now also uploading to YouTube. So if you'd like to see the video format, head over to The Cove Podcast on YouTube. Uh, Lastly, if you're a long-time listener, I would really love to get a review from you in your podcast app of choice or on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Hi there. Before we dive in, I'd like to share a bit about Streamflow, who as always make this podcast possible. Streamflow is hassle-free on-chain token operations using money streams. Stop using an Excel sheet and start using Streamflow for automated token vesting and payroll. Streamflow is the market leader on Solana. Twice audited with over 500 million in TVL, 37,000 plus streams created and 40 plus clients including outstanding teams like Raindrops, Hubble, Jungle DeFi, Heavenland, Genopets, and the list goes on. To set up hassle-free vesting contracts and automated payroll, head over to streamflow.finance and get started today. Okay, I'm excited to have Ben from Mezzo on today, and we're going to chat all things uh, crypto, banking, cards, and onboarding and adoption of the next let's say 1 billion users. Let's see. Um, So welcome, Ben. It's great to have you on. Awesome. It's been great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so before we like get stuck into the nitty gritty on you know user adoption and the stuff that we're super passionate about, um, could you let the folks listening know a bit about Meso? Yeah. So um, we founded Meso um, last year primarily due to just our own frustration of how painful it was to get money in and out of our self-custodial wallets. Um, most of us at Meso and most of the people we know primarily just use an exchange to do it, which involves waiting usually like up to 10 days, which just sucks. Um, and it, it's been surprising to us as we kind of dug into the different solutions that we attempted that none of them really seemed set up to scale and actually work. Like um, one, one um, mind-blowing statistic that, that we learned is the average kind of success rate for like debit card-based on-ramps in the U.S. is, is right around 50% which is, is like unheard of in, in the world of payments. Like anything below 90% is usually considered a huge problem. Um, so really it, it's that simple. Like we wanted to build infrastructure so that dApps, wallets, really anything that developers can imagine in crypto can a- add the ability for people to actually onboard and use without having to like leave, go to an exchange or use some other service. So does that look like in practice, say, imagine I'm playing a game, uh, like a Web3 game, and I want to add some tokens, but I don't have any any access. So I can like input my credit card and then, you know, somehow like on ramp and get some Solana to buy the tokens. Is that how it plays out in reality? Well, yes, um, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And like most of the um, one of the things that's been really interesting building building a product like Mezzo is like what what. Uh, complexity we're dealing with and kind of the the challenges we face are completely different than from anything else people face in crypto. And that's because really 
80% of what we're building is in crypto. It's just pure fintech. And what, what mm. I think um, many people who aren't kind of deep into the like fintech payment space might not realize is like payments as like a concept is like very complicated. There's many different flavors of payments. I think most people who, who are technical or developers, they think like payments and they think Stripe. And they're like, well, you know, we need like the Stripe um, to do like on and off ramping. And I think like from a, from a like North Star perspective, like that's our goal too. But the reality is like what we're doing in crypto isn't e-commerce payments, which is what Stripe does. It's considered money transmission. And so money transmission is highly regulated. It's, it's much more complicated to do. It's much more risky. And that's why, while I think our goal is to give that kind of similar experience you described, where like I'm in context doing something, playing a game, using an app, and I just need to like top up my balance. We want user to be able to kind of never had used Mesa before, set up their account, fund their wallet without ever leaving the app. We do need to do a little bit more because we, we need th to do things like verify the user's identity um, and, uh, you know, just generally like set up their account. Um, so, yeah. And is the main customer here the application builders who will then provide, say, cards and banking connections inside their app? Or do you see yourselves as like actually servicing, you know, the, the final customer? So we, um, we ultimately see ourselves as a like B2B2C product, meaning like it, it, the answer is really both. That being said, like our, how we operate internally is our primary customers are developers or builders of apps like wallets, DEXs, et cetera. And the reason for that is like we, the current landscape right now is the vast majority of actual on and off ramp volume comes from exchanges and like exchanges aren't going away. I think exchanges have an important and massive role to play in crypto for probably the foreseeable future. Um, but we do think this category that I think many people call on and off ramps, which, you know, we are in today is a little bit of a cottage industry. Like the, it, when you look at the way payments evolved, uh, at the onset of the internet, you, you see a, like an eerily similar kind of evolutionary path where the early ways to accept online payments, um, were things that felt a lot like MoonPay and Rent Network, where you would redirect the user. They would go to some other site, finish the payment and get redirected back to the, to the, the site they're buying from. Um, there's a reason this didn't stick around. And it's because like payments are like usually the most complicated, but also most like crucial part of the experience. And the more you can embed that and kind of make it seamless what the user's trying to do, the better you're going to be. And this is why you saw the kind of API model of, of and, and payment platform really evolve over the kind of like 2010 period through Braintree, which is where myself and actually most of the Meso team worked at as part of the early engineering team, or more commonly known Stripe. Like the, those two teams really set the new standard for the way a payment platform works. So we really believe what we're trying to do is establish this new category, which is like a payment platform for, for that's targeted at crypto apps. Um, and that's why developers are our primary audience. And the, the loop, the full loop kind of ends or not ends, but I mean, currently we have Apple pay and Google pay, which is almost the maximum convenience where you just have to give your fingerprint and you can make the payment versus where we came from, as you said, in the nineties, um, very exciting to hear about that. And I think that's a, it is a, it is a bit of a nuanced point, isn't it? Because Stripe is like the go-to thing that everyone thinks of, like as the successful way that you kind of 
abstract away all the all the nonsense and all the comp all, all the complexity and make it easy for the developer. Um, so, in in the sense of like, I'm curious if a developer is listening right now, like what what is the the current use case for them to actionably be using Meso? I think that the I, I think the two rough categories of usage is like if you if you're building a wallet, then it's it's kind of blatantly obvious. Like if you mm. in a wallet, you, you should have a way for a user to deposit and withdraw money. Um, I think most people think about uh, depositing or on ramping as like that's you know the goal. We see off ramping as equally interesting, and it's like another example of why what, what we think the a true payment platform looks like, which is giving both sides of the transfer, like the reality of what you need to build to offer an on-ramp, it, it's almost identically what you need to do to offer off-ramping. And so we think these are two sides of the same coin, but from a user experience perspective, one of the, the big insights I took away from my time leading product at Venmo is the easier we made it to off-ramp, the more balance or money you, Venmo users held there. And like through like user interviews, what what emerged is the pretty clear reason why is it, it was just this concept of trust. And like this is, you know, like I, I'm sure we're going to talk more about this when we get into general user adoption. But like UX is, is like always been a hot topic, at least for my time in crypto. And I think a lot of people uh, have like misconceptions of what UX really means. To me, like U UX, especially when it comes to money and payments, there's a huge amount of kind of subjective nature of like what is good UX. But I generally think good UX when it comes to payments involves like ha handling trust well or earning the trust of users. And when you're, you know, someone who's non-technical, maybe comfortable using a phone, but has never really done something like held money in an app before, knowing that like it's very, very easy and very like clear how I would get the money out makes me feel like, okay, well, I can try this out. And if something doesn't work right, I can always get out really quick. Um, that I think was a huge unlock for Venmo. And I think that like it is necessary if we're gonna start scaling wallets uh, to, to a broader audience of people. Um, on the other side, I think almost every crypto app is going to have some point where the user needs to make a transaction, whether that's to swap tokens, buy something, et cetera at that point, the worst thing that could happen is the user doesn't have sufficient funds and you just say, sorry, like you can't do it. Mm. You, need, you want to give users a path to whether it's to top up their balance or in some way move forward with the transaction. Like we've seen this be very successful in the realm of NFTs. There's a, a great uh, team that I think is, has a lot of similarities with what we're doing with Mezzo, but a lot more focused on NFTs called Crossmint. Um, which lets people buy um, NFTs with a credit card. Um, and I think that that concept of any time that you're, you're prompting the user to make a transfer, rather than just having a hard stop when you have insufficient funds, you should be integrating providers like us so you can give users a path to top up and complete the transaction without ever having to leave your product. Yeah, that, make, that makes um, complete sense. I'm curious with your experience having worked at Venmo and, and Braintree, you mentioned, um, to the, to the non-crypto user who says, why do I need crypto? Like the, the, the existing system works perfectly fine. You know, it takes a day, but it's, it's free and I don't have to worry about topping up. 
Um, and, you know, someone who was in the trenches in, I guess, more like Web2 payments, mm -hmm. could you give a bit of detail or a bit of um, shed, shed some light on like, how, do, how does it look behind the scenes? You know, is it actually the case that everything just runs smoothly or is there, you know, some, obviously you, you moved on to Mesa, so you must see that there's some, some room for improvement. So I, uh, I actually, when I was um, finishing up my time at Venmo, I made a very conscious decision to, to like leave FinTech and payments. And a lot of that was because I was just jaded. Like the, mm. the promises of FinTech, I think are, are fantastic. Like I think the goal, like the goal of banking the unbank, increasing financial access, all are incredibly, like the, those are goals that I, I'm happy to spend the rest of my career working towards. But the reality when you're in the trenches and you kind of see how the sausage is made is it's like most of what you see today in terms of payments, like take like Stripe or Braintree or even Apple Pay, it's like you're, you're kind of like layering these things on top of this like foundation that is like not suited for this job. And like what I mean by that is like ultimately there like you'd need many, many, many layers of facilitators to do anything when it comes to moving money digitally. And each one of those facilitators adds new trust assumptions, new risks that like ultimately ends up with like the more like edge case users, which sadly are often more marginalized groups, get like get the get a worse experience at best. And at worst, they're either taxed or blocked from the financial ecosystem for reasons that are frankly outside of their control. And I would argue are borderline unethical. So like I, I looked at the space and I'm just like the amount of rebuilding and reimagining that would have to happen is so fundamental that like, I just don't know if this is worth it anymore to be really honest. Mm -hmm. And that's what caused me to believe I went into a totally different industry. I went into actually education technology. Um, the what 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 actually got me back into all this and into crypto was the realization of oh like smart contracts blockchains self-custodial uh cryptography like these are building blocks that actually might get us to this true end state of increasing financial inclusion um making making like digital financial technology accessible and easy um, we're very far away from that. There's a lot to do. And, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of those things today. But I think I, I have hope again, uh, which is what made me excited about it. And in terms of like, why specifically would like a non-crypto user care about crypto? Um, I think it like today, I think that, you know, crypto is still early enough that like, I don't know if there is a great answer to that. So um, in terms of how non-crypto users might care about crypto. I think today you see those kind of more edge case groups of users getting a ton of value from it. Like the, the really obvious example is international remittance, like sending money across the world using crypto is depending on the blockchain using effectively free. And most importantly, it's permissionless. Meaning like once I get my money on chain, sending it to my family across the world, no one can stop me from doing that. Now, of course, they can stop my family from withdrawing it to their bank account. And so like, there's still, again, problems to solve. But like, that is, a, to me, a very clear use case. Is that applicable to everyone? Not yet. But I think the thing we're also seeing is most of the centralized private kind of payment networks like Venmo, Cash App, et cetera, are increasingly going to get like either decide internally due to their for their own financial reasons or due to external pressure, create more and more restrictions in how they're used. Like, 
one of the one of the most um, exciting aspects of how Venmo is used, I think, is for what we would call eternally the informal economy. So this is like dog walkers, independent hairdressers, things like that, because Venmo is in their mind, and this is like the terms they use when we talk to them, they're like, it's like digital cash. Like I'm, I need to get paid. If I get paid in Venmo, that's the equivalent of me getting paid in cash. Like, this is great. I love this. It's simple. I don't need to think about anything. And like, that's awesome. Sadly, like what Venmo has moved to over the last couple of years is the same policy PayPal has adopted, which frankly, I hate, which is if you're going to use this product for, for uh, like business, meaning like you're not paying a friend or family, you have to pay a fee. And like that, like in some cases, that makes a ton of sense. Like the reality is if you're using Venmo, for instance, to buy a product from someone off Craigslist, paying a fee gets you buyer protection. Meaning like if you get a laptop, you come home, you realize it's like totally screwed and the guy walked away, you can call a PayPal or Venmo and say like, yo, this is what happened. And they're going to give you your money back. That's awesome. Like buyer protection, seller protection, great value props. But the users should choose when they want to do that. They shouldn't be. Because like take the examples I gave earlier. Like if I'm paying my, um, my barber in Venmo, I don't need protection from that purchase because my hair was already cut. Like I'm giving, there's no catch. There's no reason I would ever dispute that payment. Why, why are both of us paying a tax for something we don't need in that situation? So like, that's just one example of where I just think it's like payment, private, large payment companies are kind of in an impossible situation where like they can't offer the best experience to all users because they're so highly like restricted and regulated. And so what crypto gives is like, you can get this huge spectrum that can kind of work for everyone in different ways. Um, and that's to me like the long-term, a long-term promise that I'm excited about with crypto. Yeah, I recall a friend of mine in Nigeria was trying to go to a conference in like a neighboring African country. And in the end, he couldn't buy accommodation anywhere, any which way. He had to send money to a friend in the US and the U.S. friend booked it in that in that African country because it was so impossible to do cross-border payments. So, um, you know, yeah, as you said, it's people that are maybe not. If you're just staying in like a, a wealthy country and you and you don't move around, maybe you don't notice the um, the bugs underneath the wood. But uh, yeah, once you once you get a bit outside of that, you'll definitely very quickly see uh, how how the restrictions start to come and, and play play in, uh, you know impact your user experience. Um, so let's talk like as we're already kind of getting onto the topic of you know the end user the, their current experience. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a bit about like because you were giving examples like of how crypto can improve their life today, right? But what we really and what you originally reached out to me on Twitter about is like you know how we can both see that within a fairly short period, um, it seems like it's going to get drastically better. Um, there's some really exciting new work being done across like you know we're not picking just Solana or just, you know, one network, there's really great work being done across the, across the board. The most exciting presentation I saw at HCC was from the team at Argent Wallet um, and how they're basically completely abstracting away a lot of the crypto stuff, but still giving the value at the end, which is really cool to see. So, um, yeah, I'd love to hear, like, what are you excited about in this space around, um, it, yeah, improving the UX for the, for the end user when it comes yeah. to payment payments? So the um, UX is a hot topic in crypto. Um, and I feel like I, especially as we're kind of in, in the depths of the bear market, I feel like we're seeing some like 
interesting and maybe like a little bit overly heated kind of like contention of like, hey, like UX isn't a problem. UX is way better. Like that's just an excuse. We need better apps or like, no, UX is fundamentally broken. My perspective coming from the world of payment, like Web2 payments is like, UX is incredibly expansive. Like when I think about UX in terms of payments, the vast majority of what defines the experience is not the UI. It's, it's like everything that happens behind the scenes. And like ultimately what all payments technology is trying to do is you're abstracting complexity away from the user. But the danger with that is like you, you have to not do things that the user doesn't expect. And you have to do things in a way that keeps the user very safe. Um, and the, uh, I think a lot of, my my thought of like how how what are the ux problems in crypto i really see kind of like three big categories like one of them i don't think we need to spend a lot of time on because we, we spent most of the early part talking about it which is what mezzo is trying to solve is mm. just compatibility with fiat like i generally don't subscribe to the belief that like in a short period of time we're going to see a cryptocurrency replace the us dollar as the global currency like i mm. think Fiat and the U.S. dollar is is here to stay for the foreseeable future. And I think if crypto wants to have the impact that it, it believes it can, it needs to find ways to kind of cooperate and interact and, and become interoperable with fiat and the traditional payment systems. Um, I think teams like us and many others are attempting to solve that. And I think we're we're beginning to see kind of like the next generation of solutions, like what we're going to hopefully put out in a few weeks. Um, the other two, I think, are a lot harder. Um, one is user safety, which this is where I think things like account abstraction, what Arjun is doing, as well as like the Gnosis Safe team and many others are showing what I see as like a real path or maybe like vision for how safety could work for self-custodial wallets at scale. So I definitely want to dig into that. I think that is a super interesting area. And I also think it unlocks even more ways we can make fiat more compatible with crypto. The... The third area of UX that I think is is frankly much harder, and I'm not sure what, what a solution is going to look like, is privacy. Um, I think many of us in crypto, or like at least my personal experience, is I was, um, I was surprised how quickly I stopped even thinking or caring about the fact that all my transactions and balance is public. Like mm. before I got deeply involved in crypto, I'm like, this is crazy. Like the idea that like anyone can look up how much like my portfolio is worth feels like almost wrong. And the experience we had at Venmo and like one of the more controversial aspects of Venmo is the concept of like the public feed and like the idea that like users are going to share payments they made. Um, there's a lot of like, that's a very, that's a whole nother conversation we could have maybe another time. But one thing that sadly was very clear to us is there was a small but very serious set of uh, instances where that hurt people, meaning like they mm. payment um, and it created problems for them. And so like the, I think privacy when it comes to a user's financial life um, is complicated. And like some people might be totally fine with things being public, but for many others, it's not just a choice for them to be private. It has to be private for their own personal safety. So um, I think privacy is a much harder problem to solve, mainly because I think they're like, I have been pretty happy with the progress I've seen, like the regulatory agencies involved in things like anti-money laundering have started to realize that like, actually crypto is even mm. easier to build yeah. anti-money laundering program on than non-crypto. 
So like yeah. they're starting to kind of be like, oh no, this is like, you guys can do this even better than everyone else. Like this isn't a problem. But the moment you start to say, okay, great. Now we're going to launch a like true, like ZK powered privacy um, system where no one can see, like you throw all that out, out the window. Now, I don't think that is like a means that there isn't a solution, but, but there's just needs to be a lot more work and a lot more time. And sadly, probably a lot more money spent on lawyers to figure that out. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, we just saw one of the creators or the builders of Tornado Cash is um, is in very deep hot water, uh, being blamed for a billion dollars of um, sanctions breaking transactions and, and money laundering. Uh, so, yeah, hate to see it. Uh, really hate to see it. And I hope it doesn't have a, have a chilling effect across all the other teams who are working on privacy. Um, you know, we'll have to I see how it pans out. I, I do sadly think we're fairly far out from like regulators being comfortable with like on-chain privacy solutions, but the teams that I've spent time with, and there's a number of them on Solana as well as uh, across the whole space, I, I think they are taking a much more thoughtful and like nuanced approach. So I do think we'll get there. And I do, I think we have a lot of kind of firepower behind just like lobbying in crypto now. And like mm. many teams I think are are going in with like eyes wide open of like this is this is going to take time and we need to be we need, really need to focus on trying to onboard regulators into like how does this all work and what is really happening not just try to like get it through and get them to check the box and say yes like we, yeah. we need them to like wrap their heads around all this um so yeah. that tornado cash disaster doesn't happen again yeah, and then just a re really quick shield because I really love the way that um, Elusive frames this topic, where they frame it like it's you know it's it's like HTTPS, like you wouldn't do an Amazon purchase with your credit card information exposed to the world. Uh, in the same way, you, you shouldn't be forced to do you know P2P or business transactions without having the possibility of protecting yourself. Um, I think that this is a really healthy framing. But um, as you said, that, that, that's the conversation for another day. Let's yeah. let's hone in on the account abstraction on pass keys, which is I think pretty red hot, like you know, pioneering stuff right now. Um, maybe you can first unpack a little bit, like what they are, for those who are not familiar with these these concepts. Yeah. So um, account abstraction, I feel like is is like uh, notorious for being like misunderstood or kind of expanded to mean like everything. I ultimately see it as the, a, a like architectural like shift from assuming that like all accounts on a blockchain for end users are externally owned, meaning like they hold their own keys to instead being more flexible where users or developers can choose from kind of a spectrum of options. So mm -hmm. like, like to me, like on like take the EVM, I think account abstraction longer term means a user could come with an EOA, like a, you know, a key pair that they generate on their own, or they could like have an account that is a smart contract and that smart contract could define any number of ways to kind of authenticate the user into that smart contract. And so the, to me, the, the real advantages of this approach of kind of moving user accounts into smart contracts or um, like token accounts in, in Solana terminology is you get just infinitely more flexibility and ways to keep the user safe. Like rotating keys becomes trivial, creating mm. like arbitrary kind of logic to, to minimize like unauthorized access um, becomes, becomes really easy. Like 
Um, there's a team on Starknet called Bravos that I, is, is one of the best I've seen at this, where you can set incredibly complex and like useful um, rules. Like I, you know, if I'm using my hot wallet, I only want to be able to move, you know, up to a thousand dollars a day. And if I go over that, like reject every transaction. Um, and what that means is now I can kind of safely use a like a like an EOA that's sitting on my phone to access my smart contract wallet um, and know that if, if for whatever reason that that private key gets stolen or compromised, I'm minimizing the damage significantly. Um, the I think the the account abstraction is on especially on the EVM is also starting to overlap with like another trend that I think is 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 getting hotter and hotter, which is this idea of intense. So like one of the one of the limitations of the EVM is you can't do like multiple transactions at once as easily as you could on something like Solana. And so what user operations are is kind of like a, a meta transaction where a user can kind of like construct one or many transactions they want to execute, sign them and then send them to this this intermediary, which takes those user operations and then ultimately executes the one or many transactions on behalf of the user. Um, this is this is a key way that's for smart contract wallets to work, which is why a lot of people kind of bundle it under account abstraction. But this even on its own, or just like now just talking about intense, which you know teams like CowSwap and now Uniswap X are exploring, um, I think is another just like huge user experience unlock where you can do things like more complicated transactions with one signature. Um, that I think is is going to be key for adoption. And that you can do more complicated transactions, uh, more complicated, you know, user jobs um, with a single transaction. Is that because you're like approving your smart contract wallet to then handle the like sub transactions by itself? Yeah. So it's it's the because the actual assets are owned by the smart contract, mm. you can you can approve a, another contract to basically act on your behalf. And so that, that you can give that other contract again, like this, just like array of different operations. And I'm, I'm kind of glossing over this. So like, definitely if you, if you mm. want to run this, the one I would suggest, like there's a, a, one of the teams that I think has been very um, focused on this for, for before construction was a hot topic is called stack up. Um, so like look them up on, on, on uh, Twitter. They have some great like foundational educational content of how all this stuff works. But yes, the idea is basically like you, you can like let another smart contract act on your behalf and that's how they can execute multiple transactions for you. Got you. And, um, how does like, how do pass keys fit into this, into this picture? So the, uh, one of the, I feel like. The unsolved problems with smart contract wallets that, that a lot of people don't spend a lot of time talking about is um, you still need an EOA. Like mm. ultimately you still need this, this key pair to be in, to interact with the smart contract wallet. And so what happens there? Because it's like, great, we now have I, all my assets are now held in the smart contract wallet. I can create really flexible security, all of that, but I still need an EOA. How are we going to keep that secure? Like it, we're kind of back to where we started, which is like our users really going to have to think about private keys. Um, mm. And so what what Passkey or WebAuthn um, is doing is basically creating a system that this is not designed for crypto. This is something that really the whole industry, Apple, Google, Microsoft, many others have been pushing for, which is just moving away from passwords and instead mm. using public key cryptography 
by securing private keys on the user's device in in the like secure enclaves that are now effectively standard across almost every consumer device at this point. Uh, and so what what they do is they allow a private key to be generated that's managed and secured by the operating system itself, um, and then use that with a third party application to sign messages, do all the, the normal things you would do. The one the one like very technical and specific problem with pass keys is the encryption algorithm they're using isn't compatible with the encryption algorithms that Solana and the EVM use. And so the, one of the things that I think is, is very exciting that's happening on Solana is shortly there will be a way to natively validate those signatures on chain and Solana programs. Um, so that'll be a huge unlock for Solana because it, you can get to a place where you could set up a smart contract wallet create an EOA that is managed by your device using the, the passkey system and like you're golden. Like you, you don't have to ever think about an EOA and you have like strong security guarantees by from the, the company that you probably trust the most, which is who built your hardware. Um, I think on the EV, EVM, I expect we'll get there as well, um, but that is just gonna take more time. There's, there is an, an EIP that's getting, um, getting some good traction, which is trying, uh, is suggesting they support a pre-compile function to do this, this similar uh, signature verification for pass keys um, so that they could do something similar on EVM. But um, that I expect is gonna take much longer. Like EIPs have a very, very long uh, life cycle. Got you. And so I understand that the, the that you essentially the passkey and you know your device is then able to control the EOA, which is then able to you know um, you know control your your um, smart contract wallet. Um, what is like for the from the user perspective? How do you think that breaks down? Uh, like, what's the what? How will the user experience look like on Solana once that's active? So that I think is the other part of why I get so excited about passkeys. Like I think like. Safety and user security is like this incredibly like squishy topic for like average users. Like we, when I was at Venmo, we constantly dealt with this perception from users that Venmo was not secure. And like, mm. definitely like there are many things I think Venmo did that created that perception. But like from a pure facts perspective, Venmo was never hacked. Like we never had a security. Mm. So it's like, we didn't actually do something that like made that, that showed Venmo as insecure, we just gave the perception that we were insecure. Mm. And so like a lot of like what average users perceive as security, I think is perception. And what I'll take, like talk about past keys from the perspective of Apple devices, users are incredibly comfortable and used to now the concept of like touch mm. ID or, mm. or like face ID, like that kind of ceremony of like getting the like Mac OS prompt or getting the face ID prompt on my phone is something that people understand and they associate that with like, this is highly secure. Mm. Um, what the user experience of using a passkey on a, on a, a Mac or a, an Apple device is the same. Like you see the identical kind of like I, uh, Mac OS, like fingerprint prompt or face ID prompt on your, on your phone that you would see if you were making an Apple pay payment um, or you're you know doing something sensitive on your phone. So I think that's another reason why I'm, very excited about kind of scaling passkey adoption because I think it's it's you don't need to train users on something new mm. they've already done before. That's super exciting because um, you know 
I think I've onboarded three or uh, probably many people, but three or four have been hacked in the first two days after setting up, setting up with, a, with a new wallet, um, just following like Google links and stuff. Uh, so that, that's really huge. And I really love that idea of like inheriting the sort of the security, um, I guess users assume a level of security, right? From, from that thing that they've done thousands of times on their phone or their computer. Uh, very exciting stuff. Um, is there anything else that you're seeing uh, in terms of technolo technological unlocks that are exciting on the on the payment side, whether it be in Solana or EVM? So the um, actually what you just hit on, I think, is is another part. And this is where I think things get a little bit more contentious. Like mm. I um, the so like pass keys, account abstraction, all these things, I think, are the building blocks for substantially more accessible self-custody. Um, like I, I, I definitely believe that but it doesn't solve the problem of like blockchains being irreversible. Like, and that's mm. the concept of something being irreversible digitally it is, you know, for people like us who are like living and breathing this stuff all day, it's like, yeah, of course, like that's like common or like, that's just like, that is how this that's how it works. is. That's how um, it is. Yeah. But for, for people who aren't exposed to that, it's like, it's, it's like explaining to someone like a new color that they've never seen before. Like it's, it's like they can't mm. wrap their head around it because there is literally no example of that in the real world um, for them personally. And that I think is, is something where like, I think there will continue to be advancements that allow users to kind of stay safe or get protected from like scams or fraud on chain. But personally, this is a place where I feel like we can't let the like principles of decentralization get in the way of progress. And I think the right solution is giving users kind of a, a like spectrum of self-custody that they can like very seamlessly move on. Um, mm. There's, a, there's a, like the, the Gnosis team did a great kind of expose on this topic um, earlier this year, right around ETH Denver, talking about just like this idea of like supporting a spectrum of custody options. And so like one of the things, one of the, the visions I have for a smart contract wallet that would onboard, you know, the next billion users, uh, I think involves the ability for a user to sign up and choose to say, hey, I, I would like to work with a third party provider to secure my wallet. And so like, mm. uh, I don't know what those providers look like. Like, I think there's a world where in the future I could imagine Mezzo being one of those providers, but ultimately like this, the, the system that smart contract wallets allow for is you could do something like say, I want someone like Mezzo to approve every transaction before I make it. Um, and, and that allows Mezzo to basically act as almost like a security provider where we can look at a transaction before it happens, run our own, you know, off chain complex risk models to determine if it's safe or not and reject or, or approve it. But it also means like we could be set up in such a way where if the user says like, Hey, like I, Mezzo is not. Well, I don't like Mezzo anymore. Like they're they're being way too um, restrictive. I want to pull them out. They can very easily remove us as a provider and then re revoke our access to their smart contract wallet. And and this is what I get most excited about. We can provide this service and like scan these transactions without ever having custody of the funds. Like the only mm. access we could have to the smart contract wallet would be to approve or decline. We couldn't make our own transactions. We couldn't change the nature of a transaction. We can only say yes or no. So I think that that I think is 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 um, I think very unexplored. I think there's a I think teams like Argent are I think starting to get it in that direction with things like Guardians. But I I think that 
users, especially new, like new to crypto users who are not technical, they're going to want. And frankly, I think they should have a company that they trust, that they can call, that they can contact, that they can work uh, out issues with. Otherwise, like I think either you're going to have users that are like naively jumping in and not realizing the implications of what they're doing or users that are just too afraid to even do it. That makes sense. And, but I can immediately see from your description, like how that gets very contentious very quickly, because, yeah. you know, there's many, many, not even just Bitcoin maxis, but many, many just like sort of crypto people who would kind of um, visibly be uncomfortable with that, that concept. And, you know, there's, so, it, it does unload so many questions like, yeah, who, who should be deciding like which transactions are good or not. And, you know, like then it also opens up a lot of space for, for government to add more regulation. And then of course the worst case scenario is we end up where we started, but um, no, it's a super fascinating angle to take. And, and if you think about onboarding, yeah, not, as you said, non-technical people, you have to have some guardrails at some point. It's, I guess it's just a question of, you know, where they are and, and how much they slow things down or, or get in the way. But um, make, makes complete sense. And overall, it's, it sounds really exciting, everything you're describing. Um, I, I've been playing around with, you know, FriendTech and a few of these like latest sort of popular apps that use passkeys or even just proof of concepts. And it, it's such a joy to use. Um, and it's, it's interesting because one of the advantages of crypto was, you know, you can take your wallet anywhere and connect, but we can also see a future where every app, you know, you have your own wallet inside that app and then you can actually just withdraw to your main wallet. Um, and it's all kind of very seamless and smooth, um, which is, which is good because the, the concept of a, connecting with a browser extension has been w way past it's, uh, used by date, I think by now. So it's good to see we're moving on. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for giving us a rundown. I'd like to move over to some sort of a little bit of alpha. You mentioned that Meso is going live in a few weeks or that you guys have a new release. Um, so how can users test out Meso or, or gain early access? Yeah, so um, we are, uh, as I said earlier, like our primary goal is to be a like, developer platform for this, but there is a lot of moving pieces here. And like one of the things that we think is crucial for being a strong developer platform is being reliable. And that's why what we're doing initially is we're launching for a whitelisted set of end users to, to start using the product, start moving real money uh, on chain from their bank into their wallet. Um, so we are going to be opening up to kind of a limited population um, starting in September. Um, I think if you're, um, if you're interested in, in testing and, and, have a, and are based in the U.S., um, you can DM me on Twitter. I'm happy to kind of add listeners uh, to, the, to the list. Um, I'm Ben Emails on Twitter. Um, but the, the once, once that has concluded, meaning like we've seen some volume, we've seen strong conversion rate product, is, is, is operating as we expected. We're going to as quickly as we can move into the, the, like the, the real launch of Mezzo, which is releasing our SDK. Um, and that's something that like, it's, it's the other benefit of doing this kind of alpha launch we're doing is we're just dog food in our own SDK. So we're, mm. we're a chance to use it ourselves and really figure out where the rough edges are before we even expose it. But we're, um, we're excited to start working with teams that are building browser extension wallets, like uh, browser-based dApps, native wallets and dApps. Um, we really want Mezzo to be kind of compatible with anywhere people are building crypto apps. Um, so that, that's, that's the next step. And I think there, 
we're likely going to be much more selective. I think one of one of our beliefs is that like user experience um, like is mm. is crucial when it comes to dealing with kind of fiat and and uh, the traditional payment system. So we're really looking for teams that have a very high bar of like what what like their UX wants to be and really working closely with us to try to build like the type of UX that I think actually has a chance at onboarding the next billion users. Um, gotcha. so that, that's, that's the, that, that's going to come, you know, later this fall. Um, if you, if you, if any of your listeners are working on products or, or kind of thinking that same way, we, we'd love to talk. Um, and we could, we could work out if, if it makes sense to kind of join us as part of our launch program. And For sure, the, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say the 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 to to get into like the actual alpha. I think one of the um, one of the things that we uh, had as like a core principle at Venmo is like users shouldn't have to pay to move their own money. Um, mm-hmm. It's like it's funny because it's so obvious. Like yes, it's really really weird that I have to pay a fee to just move my own money if like I'm just moving it around. And the way we look at what we're doing or what any on and off ramp is doing is we're letting you move your own money. Like, it's not like we're, we're really doing anything that complicated. And so we, our goal is to get that as close to free as we possibly can. And then what, what we believe long-term will happen is if we can get the cost down low enough, protocols, apps will have revenue streams that they can subsidize this. Like this is, this is the way web two payments work. I mean, like web two payments are incredibly expensive. It's like roughly 3% to mm. do a web payment every business subsidizes that cost. Like they don't pass it on to the user like they do in crypto. Um, we think that due mm-hmm. to the nature of what we're doing in crypto, we can make it much, the actual cost be much cheaper than 3%, which makes me think that like we can subsidize this and get it to free. But the, the way I believe you have to do that is get incredibly good at risk management and like preventing fraud. And one of the other places that we're really excited about is how on-chain data can serve as a kind of proof of history for users that allows us to differentiate between potential fraudsters and like legitimate good crypto users. So a lot of our our kind of internal um, consumer strategy right now is we want to be the best on an off-ramp for like crypto natives. Like the reality is like I love and, and hopefully you could tell through this whole conversation, like I'm obsessed with the, the problem of how do you onboard the next billion users to crypto. The reality is though that is not happening today. We have like mm. a small, highly engaged population of crypto natives using crypto today. We believe that like the, that is the group that is either going to discover or create the next apps and experiences that onboard next billion users. So we want to do a fantastic job serving them before we earn the right to onboard the next wave of users. So we are we expect to have a like tiered based pricing system where anyone who joins us in alpha is going to get like grandfathered into our our like low verified tier, which means that for 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 life, they will be able to do on ramps with Mezzo for 1.5%, um, which for context, at least in the US, the average on ramp price is anywhere from three to 8%. Um, so this is a substantial discount. And we think something that like every crypto user deserves, but we're starting with kind of the most engaged users. And we hope like likely later next year, we'll have a path to kind of allow anyone to kind of get qualified into that lower fee segment. But for now, that's going to be one of one of the unique benefits of being part of our alpha. 
Oh, really great to hear. Uh, one quick question I want to pick up there is um, you mentioned a, around you know, abstracting fees away from the user. Um, that's something we didn't touch on in, in the previous segment, but that also feels like a really important important piece of the puzzle in terms of that like really polished, frictionless experience. Um, and that's also something which I believe account abstraction is also helping with, right? Um, and where yeah. you know, for example, the protocol can cover the fees for all of their users. And especially on a, on a L1 like Solana, that becomes much more possible because of the incredibly low fees. Um, so just want to make a point there and in case you want to add something. No, I, I almost brought that up too. And I think it is actually a crucial point. And it also enables like more complicated use cases where like maybe the user is paying, but they're pay they can pay with USDC or, or another token. So credit important. And it's another thing uh, I, I want to call out that I feel like I'd love to see more people spend time on, which is like, the UX implications of different like L1 architectures. Like mm. the thing that has become pretty clear to me over the last couple of months is there's a ton of, of aspects of the way Solana works and the way like transactions are constructed and, and like you interact with RPCs that are conducive to just much better UX. Like yeah. paying for users uh, transaction fees uh, on their behalf is just natively supported on Solana. It's like trivial. Mm. Like that mm. is huge. Like the amount of kind of constructs you have to put in place in the EVM to achieve the same thing is a lot. And it also means that like there's like many like smart contracts or protocols won't natively support it. So it's, it, there's no real silver bullet there. For Solana, mm. there is just a, a core concept of you can set the fee pair to be anyone. Um, so uh, definitely excited to see kind of more people start to try to take advantage of some of the unique aspects of Solana that I think make a lot of this just like easier and simpler because the easier and simpler it is the more chances are that we're going to get products that actually deliver on these promises that can actually work a hundred percent and just look at code wallet um in terms of abstracting away the fees it's a joy to use um you know there's still some pieces of the puzzle that are missing there but fantastic ux uh and that sort of hashtag only possible on solana of course um but uh that brings us very neatly to you know a couple like you know faster questions i got for you and the first one is if you weren't working on meso and in case it hasn't been obvious from from, the, from this um you know discussion so far if you weren't working on meso what would you be focusing on these days mm. Wait, it, it, can I like say something in crypto? Or are you asking for like not? Yes, yeah, so inside crypto, but say like not 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 on meso, not on like say on ramps, but you know what what else do you find it, super exciting? It would absolutely be like I think yeah. it, and like I don't know what that exactly looks like. Whether that would be like literally building an end consumer wallet or trying to build infrastructure, but I just generally think there's just a ton of unexplored design space in in what you can do with like consumer focused smart contract wallets. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I think we didn't bury the lead there at all. Um, mm -hmm. uh, w the ne next question is like in the crypto ecosystem, who do you look up to? That's a good one. Um, I probably don't have one answer, but, um, in, in general, I look up to people that I think are, are truly in this because they want to, to, to solve real problems for real users. Uh, and, and who, you know, take a little bit more of like a moderate approach to kind of mm. to what's going on. Like crypto is like incredibly noisy. It's very easy to get kind of swept up in the latest narrative. So I really appreciate people who can cut through that noise. I mean, like, I think these are people like um, 
uh, if people are familiar with like the Farcaster network, which is like a decentralized social network that's being worked on, um, their founder DWR, I think, the, and his co-founder, like I think they, I love their approach. They have this this like seminal blog post called like um, sufficient decentralization, and it's like this mm. like, gets back to the the kind of like pragmatic approach that I think will actually get crypto to scale. Um, I think like the the other example that um, feels pretty obvious to me is just like people who are like actually in the trenches and trying to solve these real problems. And like the person that comes to my mind in the Solana ecosystem is Jordan. Like Jordan mm. Sex is, is a badass. Like I got the pleasure of working with him uh, on Solana Pay. Um, and like, I think he continues to kind of be, it, be completely unafraid to like go after like the hardest and meatiest problems in crypto and figure it out. Like he, he, he was a lot of my thinking around privacy was informed through conversations with him. And, and I think we're, I'm, we're, we're starting to see him like start to work on even more exciting things when it comes to like things like wallet and security. So um, I think he is, he's awesome. Yeah, stay posted there. Everyone's tweeting about it. We'll see what, what he's working on. Um, okay, last question. Uh, if you could lock up 10 million in staked Solana or 5 million in USDC for five years, what would you lock up? Solana, no question. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's the, that, that, that is the right answer. <laughs> yeah, not financial advice. Um, awesome. So, yeah, so uh, coming up on time here, but just to sort of summarize, I think what's super exciting from this conversation is just um, that we seem to be at a very clear inflection point for UX for end users, specifically when it comes around um, payments and management of their assets on chain, which is really, really exciting. Um, and I would encourage users to check out uh, Meso Network's Twitter. I'll have it in the show notes um, and also to you know apply for the alpha. Uh, if you're building, check it out. Um, we need much more uh, to remove the friction on 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 ramping and and off ramping as well. We often don't talk about off ramping. Also very important. Um, thanks so much for coming on, Ben. It's been a real pleasure. I can you know catch the passion off off the screen with, with regard to UX um, and you know user problems. Um, I absolutely share your excitement, and let's see what happens uh, moving in the next few months. Sounds great. Thanks again for having me. Talk to you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review if you're feeling generous. And I'd also like to give a brief reminder that nothing said on the podcast is financial advice. My views are my own. And when navigating crypto, remember that you are responsible for your own assets and always do your own research.